The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you this morning, we are grateful for the privilege of knowing you and that we can fellowship in this way because of one reason and one reason only, that we know you. It is interesting how we come from different backgrounds, different walks of lives, but then we are able to find ourselves here this morning together only because of you. Finding common fellowship in you and you alone. Finding this common interest that we believe in you and trust in you for salvation. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as we go through this theme over these two Sundays, that our fellowship will be strengthened even more as we consider this theme. Yes, it is a theme that we are familiar with, but even as your word says, there is no issue with stirring ourselves up with a word of reminder concerning that which we know. And that I pray then that this will be a fresh word to us, relevant to us as a church here, relevant to us individually, and that truly we will continue to marvel in the fact that our fellowship is new, is the greatest common interest that we have as believers. And that truly we will be encouraged and motivated to continue to do so, even as we look forward to the great hope that will be realized in the end as you return, O Lord. And that will not lose sight of this, but take great encouragement one to another. And even call others to this common interest, this common fellowship that we share with you, that is your salvation. We pray all this believing and trusting in your great name. Amen. Fellowship in Christ, the sub theme, our common interest. The question then would be this, why discuss this topic? There are two primary reasons. One is obviously because of how God created us. Because of how God created us. In Genesis chapter 2, the word is clear and it's a familiar passage, we all know it. It is not good for man to be alone. And by implication then as well, it is not good for anyone to be alone. It doesn't say it's not good for man to be alone, but it's good for a woman to be alone. It's good for a child to be alone. The principle is clear that it is not good for anyone to be alone. Man or woman, old or young. Adam and Eve only became one once they were connected to each other. Outside of that, it was not good for either to be alone. And if you look at the context, the reason why this is so, it is because they are different. They are unique to the other living creatures of creation. The Bible would say that before Eve was created, there was no suitable helper found for Adam. But once she was created, now 
he had found flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones, and the two became one. God designed mankind in such a way that people need each other. We need companionship. We need fellowship. It is almost impossible, if you would consider, to define you outside of other people. If we say you are a husband, it's because you have a wife. If you say you are a wife, it's because you have a husband. If you say you are a child, it's because you have a parent. If you are a parent, it's because you have a child. It is impossible to define you outside of other people. That's why when you're making all kinds of applications, what do they usually ask for? The one consistent thing, who is your next of kin? The idea is that you are never alone. You are never alone. There's always someone around you with whom you may be defined. Have we ever considered why the greatest commandment says, love God, yes, but your neighbor as well? Have we ever stopped to consider that even in fulfilling the greatest commandment, it is impossible for you to fulfill it on your own? It is impossible for you to fulfill the greatest commandment on your own because you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And this we find interesting because truly it is not good for us to be alone. It is not how God designed us. And that's why our theme on fellowship is important because it's calling us to each other. So it is important because of how God created us. But then the theme is also important because we have perverted how God created us. We have corrupted how God created us. Still in the beginning we see that when man broke fellowship with God because of sin, he broke fellowship with fellow man as well. The greatest commandment will call us to love God and each other but because man broke fellowship with God, thereby, by implication, he broke fellowship with man because of sin. We see this very clearly illustrated to us almost immediately. It is no coincidence that after Genesis chapter 3, we immediately jump into Genesis chapter 4 and we see the narrative of Cain and Abel, brother against brother. And you can imagine that Adam must have thought that once God has kicked him out of the garden, probably things would be well because the temptation was in the garden, right? You, should, you shall not eat from the forbidden tree, from the forbidden fruit. And thereby, if God kicks me out of the garden, then it means I've left sin behind. But the nature of man became so corrupt that no one needed to command him on how to sin or even restrict him, such that within himself, sin evolved. To the extent that much as he left the temptation behind in the garden, sin followed him along. And we see then that it mutated to such an extent that even though God designed us for fellowship, immediately in Genesis chapter 4, we see the fellowship being broken. And broken to such an extent that man will kill fellow man. It is not enough to just break fellowship. It is not enough for me to just hate you. But I will go one step further. I will kill you as well. God would not love man, therefore, he would not love his neighbor as well, to the point of even killing him. It is even interesting to consider that in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, 
God would command and say, give a universal command and say, do not kill one another. Why? Because you're in the image of God. You're in the image of God. But because of the extent of sin and perversion, man would continue to kill fellow man. It is such an unfortunate turn of events that the grand design of creation, the grand plan of God, that he would create us in such a way that it is not good for us to be alone, but the only, the only good that we'd find is if we would fellowship with one another to the point of even becoming one in a spousal relationship. But immediately man perverts that because of sin. And that's why this theme is very important to us. Because despite how God created us, we have perverted his design. We no longer see the image of God in each other. We do not. Even now, as Kobas was saying, we need to pray for Afghanistan. What is the one thing that is happening there primarily? Despite the political issues, it's man turning on fellow man to the point of killing thousands upon thousands of fellow man without even batting an eyelid, without even giving care or concern unto the fact that you and I are called to fellowship, to companionship. That is the extent to which we are divided, to the point of death. We cannot coexist such that one of us has to die. That is how bad the world has gotten into. And when you look at us today, even though we do not take it to such an extent, we are divided along various lines, several, countless, if you would call them. We are divided along family lines, and we even say what? Blood is thicker than water, right? Blood is thicker than water. We are divided along tribal lines, and some would know when you're growing up, uh, your parents warn you and say, you may marry anyone except from that particular tribe because of divisions. It's not about the image of God in man and that we have that common interest unique to all of creation. It's more about the man-made divisions that are upon us. We are divided upon language as well. I remember one of our church members saying that her sister is struggling to work in Kolokwane because she is from a different tribe, understanding a different language, but she's not being accommodated there. We are divided along the lines of nationality. Where do you come from? And we know very well xenophobia also is an issue in our own country here. We are divided along race as well. We are divided along professions as well. When you meet someone for the first time, what is usually almost always amongst the first question, if not the first question that comes to mind? What do you do? Right? What do you do? What's your profession? Because based on that, I want to judge you and how I may relate with you. We are divided along the lines of profession. I remember one time a pastor telling me, Nathan, since you're a pastor, you should only have pastor friends. Why should you be interacting with lay people? and even having good relationships with them, it doesn't make sense, you're in a different category. You should only be interacting with pastors. We are divided along the lines of education, along the lines of wealth and class. What do we always say, right? Money talks. So if you don't have money, don't talk to me. Right? 
We are divided along class, along gender as well. You would know that when you are in an event or invited to someone's house as a group, what usually happens? The ladies gravitate to one side and the men to one side, right? Naturally so. Even though it's not ill-intended, it's like it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's just how we are, we are wired, how we are tuned. It just happens naturally, right? And then it's very uncomfortable when you find the one random lady who comes amongst the gents or the one random man who goes to the ladies. His wife may even pull him aside. What are you doing? <laughs> There's a division here, okay? We are divided along the lines of age. If you are young, there's nothing I have to do with you. You have nothing to say. Be quiet. You're to be seen, not to be heard. Why? Because there's a division here. Okay? And we do it even in the church. We have all classes of ministry which are designed along age as well. We are divided also along the lines of marital status. Once you get married, even though the young adult ministry was a favorite ministry, suddenly, no, I don't belong in that category anymore. <laughs> even though you could be as young as 20, 25, no, I'm not a young adult anymore, I'm married. I'm in a different class. All kinds of divisions, one after the other. And this is us today. This is us today. We fellowship across different lines, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, but we gravitate towards those lines that divide us. Different interests, so the different interests divide us. Our fellowship in Christ. Fellowship, by simple definition, simply means an association, especially with people who share a common interest. Fellowship is simply an association coming together with people who share a common interest. And as we've seen, there are so many common interests amongst ourselves that immediately divide us to a certain degree. In the beginning, our common interest as mankind is what? That we are created in the image of God. The idea that we are all equal, the idea that we are all the same, such that Adam would look at him and say, Finally, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, someone I can identify, someone in whom I see the image of God in. And I've not seen it anywhere else. I think it's deliberate that God created Adam and Eve the way he did, such that he brings Adam first, and then the animals, and then Eve last, such that he can emphasize and enhance this distinction. That you know what, Adam, you are different. Eve is also different. You are not just lumped up together with the rest of creation. And in God's grand design, it's emphasized and enhanced because Adam could see every other living creature and know that of all the living creatures that I've seen, this one, whom I've seen last, is unique. Our common interest as image bearers, as bearers of God's image, being enhanced at creation. But because of sin, we see that other common interests, which are not so common to all of us, have divided us. Because these interests are unique only to specific groups that we belong to, and thereby hinder our fellowship even as believers. 
We see this best exemplified in Peter. I like the example of Peter because he's an apostle. And, and, and the idea here is that if an apostle could fall into such a temptation, then you see the seriousness of the issue. You would think that Peter would be the one who would be at the forefront of enhancing fellowship and even saying that, you know what, our fellowship with Christ transcends all other interests that we have because in him, truly, there's nothing that divides us. In him, we see a level playing field whereby we are all equal, as we read even in Galatians 3.28. But Peter fell into this temptation of causing division. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, this is what we see. It says, but when Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, this is now Paul writing to the Galatians. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So this was a heated argument. I opposed him to his face. One of the greatest confrontations in scripture, apostle to apostle, face to face. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And in verse 12 it says, For before certain men came from James, speaking of Jews here, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing his fellow Jews. Verse 13, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. It's interesting to see that here, uh, Peter and Barnabas, very well-known leaders in the church, very foundational, uh, fell into this temptation. And as I've said earlier, if such mighty men who are at the forefront of leading the church succumbed to this issue of breaking fellowship, how much more we? And you can even consider the context. They must have really enjoyed themselves breaking bread and sharing in their common interest, which is Christ. And, and Gentiles are more liberal than Jews, so they must have really been enjoying themselves. But suddenly, when other Jews came into town, they broke fellowship as if they had nothing in common. Uh, you'd almost think that Christ wasn't in the picture anymore. Such as Paul said, they acted hypocritically. And he even had to oppose them to his face. You see, you can't miss the irony here, especially with Peter in view. Because in Acts chapter 10, you see Peter as the first apostle who ministered to the Gentiles. So from the revelation that he got from God, from his own experience, you would expect that he would be at the forefront of enhancing fellowship and promoting fellowship amongst the Gentiles. He should have known better, but because of fear and because of pride, he fell. And truly that is us, isn't it? Think about it. There are some people you interact freely with, and especially as believers, until someone else who you share another interest with comes into the room. And then you begin to panic in fear and in pride 
and you begin to wonder what will so and so say when they see me with this one. Yet you are comfortable all along, enjoying fellowship with someone as a believer especially, and only fell into temptation when someone else came into the room. You see, this, this is such a big issue. Why? Because for Peter to break fellowship with the Gentiles, it's as if you're saying, as far as he is concerned, there is a higher form of fellowship and common interest than Christ. It's as if you're saying, I can fellowship with you as far as Christ is concerned, but then when the Jews come, that is greater to me than Christ. And so he, goes, he falls into temptation and breaks fellowship, and thereby communicating the whole apostle. It's as if he's communicating, you know what, Judaism is bigger. Now that the circumcision party is here, I need to break fellowship with you. And it's such a great sin because it's enhancing or magnifying someone or something else above Christ. Above Christ. And so Paul takes issue with, with this. And in Galatians 2, as we continue to read, in verse 14 it says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, to see first before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like and in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Two key statements there. Paul is simply summarizing what Peter was doing and he's saying, first of all, that is not in step with the truth of the gospel. That is not the gospel. And secondly, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's as if he's saying, you know, you're acting contrary to a Christian such that it even begs the question, are you even one? Because if you understand the gospel, then you would act contrary to the way you are acting. And that's why Paul was furious. You're preaching one thing, but then doing something else. And especially for such a key foundational leader. Our common interest in Christ as far as Paul is concerned, as far as scripture is concerned, transcends all other interests that divide us along different lines. Our fellowship in Christ transcends all that. There is nothing you can ever think of, not your family, not your nationality, not your race, not your profession, not your education, not your social status. There's absolutely nothing. There's absolutely no interest that can come against Christ such as to be higher than him. For a Christian it is impossible because Christ truly is, whom, is the one in whom we find common ground as equals. Still in Galatians chapter 3, you see Paul introducing to us to the idea that there is one, there is two, there are two options, one of which divides us, one which unites us. Because the common denominator 
is Abraham. And Paul is simply making a case that in as far as we are concerned, as far as the gospel is concerned, if you consider yourself a child of Abraham through circumcision, then there is division. But if you consider yourself a child of Abraham through faith, then there is unity. Because then faith transcends that division, division of circumcision in which Peter as well fell into temptation. And so he continues to interact with us in Galatians chapter 3 and I won't read the entirety of it um, for the interest of time but I'll just jump first of all from verse 1 and then jump to verse 5. It says Oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you? I was before your eyes I, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And verse 5 Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Is it works of the law or is it faith? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Because it is only faith that unites us, that transcends even those who are blood descendants of Abraham that transcends the circumcision party and even includes Gentiles into the fold. Verse 8 And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles how? By faith of circumcision. Preached the gospel before unto Abraham saying In you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is simply saying here that you're children of Abraham by faith, which is inclusive, and not children of Abraham by circumcision, which is exclusive. Verse 25, it says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then verse 28, which is our key verse for the governing theme. Therefore then, there is neither Jew nor Greek. You see, those barriers begin to fall away. Those other interests that divide us fall away because we are children of Abraham by faith. We find common interests in Abraham by faith, not by circumcision, not by other interests. There is neither Jew nor Greek. That barrier is broken. There is neither slave nor free. Again, that barrier is broken. There is no male and female. We are all equal. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. That is the point. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Verse 29. Paul is emphasizing that as a believer, nothing should ever come between you and another believer. No matter how great the temptation, no matter how divided you are along other interests, regardless of the interests that may, may divide you, and especially for Jews, because they considered everyone else to be dogs, if you're not a Jew. Paul is saying in Christ, they are not dogs. They are not dogs. 
only image bearers of God and in that we find common interest. We are all equal, for we are all one in Christ. We are all equal. Our identity as Christians transcends all other identities that we may have along other social lines. You see, we've talked about the so-called greatest commandment, which is love God and your neighbor as yourself. But then Christ went further to give us a new commandment in John chapter 13. So we have the greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But then we also have a new commandment in John chapter 13. In verses 34 and 35, this is what the Lord said. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me read that again. New commandment I give to you. That you do what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love one for another. I think the question to us is quite simple. Right? Um, we are seated here as a fellowship of believers and, and it is as simple as this. When non-believers are walking along the road and they look in what do they see uh, do they see that yes you know what when i looked in from outside when i looked through the window i could see disciples of christ but how did you see no because i could see that they love one another as the lord has loved them because though they could be divided along various lines I see that they have this common fellowship as children of Abraham by faith whereby every other barrier is broken and they have this common interest that truly Christ is Lord over them and they have love one for another. Is that our testimony? As the church in general or even as CBC Mokumani or when someone is looking in they'll be seeing well, I, I see divisions along age, I see divisions along status, I see divisions along education, along abilities, along nationality, along family background, along gender, race, tribe, language, and so on and so on. What do people see? Do they see disciples or do they see divisions? Disciples or divisions? Disciples or divisions? Can you confidently say then as a church, yes, we have love one for another despite other interests that may divide us because there is a higher interest. We find common interest in Christ. You see, we should not be caught uh, like Peter and his fellow Jews who were not in step with the truth of the gospel. As, as Paul writes there in Galatians 2 or even in Galatians 5 that Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's as if you have nothing to do with Christ. You're not really a disciple. You see, it takes us back to the beginning, right? Whereby when Adam saw Eve and he found someone in whom he has a common interest with, so are we to see fellow believers and say, you know what, I, I identify with you. 
you and I have this common interest which is Christ and nothing, absolutely nothing transcends that. That is a challenge for us. Our fellowship in Christ, our common interest is Christ whereby no other interest transcends that. And the challenge then, as we consider our fellowship, would we be counted as disciples who love one another or as those who are divided? We should also consider how we relate to non-believers. Yes, as disciples of Christ, we have love one for another because we share that common interest that is our salvation in him. Children of Abraham by faith being united as one, as equal. But the question we beg, so how then do we deal with non-believers? Right? Do we cast them out and treat them like dogs? And say you do not belong to this fellowship, therefore this love is not for you. We are divided along various lines. For that we look to Paul once again. Because Paul does provide the answer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what we see. Because it, it's not just about our fellowship in Christ as believers within the church, but as believers we also called to call others into fellowship with Christ. Because as we say, God created us in the beginning as those who would bear his image. So the idea here is that we have common fellowship with Christ, a common interest, but then there are also others out there who bear the image of God just like us, and they must be reached. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might, I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all, verse 23, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you see that attitude? There are blessings here. I want to share it with people who have other interests that may divide us, but I put that all aside because I want to share these blessings with other people. And so Paul says, I become all things to all men. But you should be careful because in verse 21, he says, he makes it clear that he does it without sinning, right? Because he says, I am subject to the law of Christ. When I become all things to all men, breaking down barriers that may divide us, it's not as if it leads me to sin because I am subjecting myself to the law of Christ. So Paul is saying it is possible. It is possible to even break down these barriers with non-believers and still subject yourself to the law of Christ. Paul is simply saying this. He's taking it to a higher level. Because you see, with Peter, for some time at least, he was willing to fellowship with Gentiles and even eat with them once they were believers. Paul is saying, because of the 
gospel mission. I will take it a level higher. I will not wait for Gentiles to be saved in order to have, to have a meal with them. I will go have a meal with them even before they are saved. Because, who knows, the Lord may just save some amongst them. I want to share these blessings with them. So I do not wait for them to come into the fold to break down barriers. I go out there and reach out to them and break those barriers. Because God may just save some. And it is possible to do it without sinning. The idea we get here is that the wealthy reach out to the poor and the poor reach out to the wealthy. The old reach out to the young and the young reach out to the old. The lay people reach out to the educated and the educated to the lay people. Those from the West reach out to those in Africa. Those in Africa reach out to those in the West. We transcend those barriers for the sake of sharing the blessings that we've received. As mankind, our common interest lies in the fact that we are all bearers of the image of God, such that that drives us as those who are believers and have that even higher common interest of those who are saved in Christ to reach out to those who are also bearing the image of God. Because these blessings are for them. And truly, you must agree, even as we close now, that Christ exemplifies more than anyone what it means to break down barriers in order to reach out, to break down other interests that divide us in order to reach out, in order to share the divine blessings of God. Because if you consider who Christ is, it is interesting. Christ is everything we are not. Christ is everything we are not. Because think about it. He is God. We are absolutely not. Right? He is perfect and holy. We are absolutely not. He is pleasing to the Father, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We are absolutely not. He is glorified with all the glory of the Father. We are absolutely not. In fact, we are condemned. These are what you may call insurmountable barriers. If you thought there are barriers amongst us as human beings, it is nothing compared to the barrier that is between us and Christ. He is everything we are not due to insurmountable barriers. But then what does he do? He humbles himself. Paul again tells us in Philippians chapter 2. Takes on the form of a man, right? And then is found amongst us, being conformed to humanity. Don't you find that interesting that with insurmountable barriers to overcome, Christ takes it upon himself to overcome them. And he conforms to humanity, ministering to the poor, ministering to the rich, to the religious, to the apathetic, to the leaders and to the lay people, to the old and to the young, such that, to even, such that he would even say, 
Don't prevent the young children from coming to me. There's no barrier here. There are no barriers here. Even the children, let them come. Let everyone come. The prostitutes, yes, let them come. Anyone and everyone. The corrupt tax collector, let him come. And this was so confounding to the people at that time because they were thinking, how can you do this? Can't you see there are barriers here? Barriers that you shouldn't even cross from a religious and cultural standpoint. Christ is saying, that is nothing to me. I'm on a mission. I am reaching out here. There's a higher common interest that I share with these people because I have blessings for them. I have blessings for them. And he did all this without sinning. Not even once. And because of Christ breaking down the barriers, we can gather here today. And even if you look around, we are very different. We are very different. There are young people, there are old people, there are white people, there are black people. There are all kinds of people. There are men, there are women, there are kids. All kinds of people. Why would such a diverse group find itself here? It is because there is something, someone who transcends all these barriers. And he himself, he did not leave us with a command which he himself never walked into and fulfilled. Because we see in who he is and who we are, he is the one who knows what it means to break down barriers more than anyone. And in him, we find common interest, we find common fellowship. Romans 8, Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brethren. That is what Christ did. Broke down the barriers that we may find this common interest whereby we may be called brethren with him. He conformed himself to humanity so that we may be conformed to him, becoming like us, becoming all things to all men, that we may share in the blessings of salvation. And indeed in him, we find this new commandment. We find our common interest. And that's the challenge for us this morning. That those looking in from outside will truly testify that they see the disciples of Christ and those who are outside will testify that indeed we've broken down barriers to reach them and share these blessings of Christ just as the Lord did and just as he commanded love one another as I have loved you let us pray dear Lord we are grateful what you did in our human eyes is impossible because you transcended barriers which were insurmountable just to reach us just so that we may find the pleasure of salvation in you a relationship with you finding common interest that you will be the firstborn amongst many brethren and thereby enjoy eternal fellowship together what a glorious revelation this is. That whereby 
you would have had the option, and rightly so, in your holiness, to maintain these boundaries and even condemn us eternally, thereby being separated from you forever. You would see it, see it within yourself to love us in such a way that you would die on the cross for us. And in that truly we marvel because there is no greater love. But you would go further to command that we should love each other as you have loved us. And oh Lord, we pray that with this challenge, knowing that we are prone to sin, having this sin nature that is hostile to one another and even causing all kinds of divisions, we pray then for the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would remind us that truly we are called to be disciples of you and to exemplify this through the love that we would have for one another and that this love would even transcend the borders of the church and reach out into the world just as you did. And we pray that truly, because of our fellowship, we would enjoy the great blessing that comes with it and even share these blessings with others. We pray all this believing and trusting in you and that truly we will find this common interest in you even as enhanced by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in all of us. We pray all this believing and trusting in you. Amen.